hope you guys had as good a weekend as Amy and I did. This is one of those weekends that remind us why we live here in East Nashville. On Saturday, Amy Lou Harris had a fundraiser for her dog rescue place called Bonaparte's Retreat. And she played Buddy Miller, Keb Moe, Sam Bush, John Hyatt, Bobby Bear, and a whole lot of other people played. It was just a really fun, intimate, was outdoors on a beautiful Saturday. And then the next day we went to a local party that happens a few times a year called the Red Barn Roundup. It's here in East Nashville. And got to see a lot of friends from the neighborhood. It was just a really good way to spend a Sunday. And then last night, Todd Snyder had a party. It was a three-kegger. And it was a bit of a strange, fun evening, as you can imagine it might be. But got to hang out with Phil Kaufman and Chuck Mead and a lot of other friends from the neighborhood. And just to give you a little idea what it was like, they were showing skin flicks from the 60s projected against the side of this house. The party was at a mansion. It's called the Disgraceland Mansion. And there were drag queens. Todd ended up uh, marrying two men. I'm not sure if it was legal or not, but it was fun. There's a big swimming pool. I put a lot of pictures up on Twitter at Otis Gibbs if you guys want to look on there and maybe follow me and get an idea what the party was like. But I remember my favorite thing I heard was someone said, I once had a guitar-shaped swimming pool, but I couldn't figure out how to tune it. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee, and I apologize if I sound a little bit haggard, but I'm still trying to recover from the weekend. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Corey Brannon. Corey is a singer-songwriter who lives right here in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find out everything you need to know about Corey at coreybrannon.com. I first met Corey a couple years ago when our friend Amanda Shires introduced us, and we all went out and had pizza here in East Nashville. Corey's a really smart, thoughtful guy who's fun to be around, and I enjoyed sitting down and chatting with him. He came over to my house here, and we sat down in the living room, and he's nice enough to share a lot of stories about his life, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Here's Corey Brannon. Yeah, I grew up uh, just uh, real north Mississippi. My folks were from a place called Arkabutla. A uh, little town and right by Coldwater, about an hour south of Memphis. And uh, my old man was, uh, after the Navy, he ended up working on jets and ended up working for FedEx for years as a jet mechanic. So he didn't want to move to Memphis, to Tennessee, so he moved us to the last town in Mississippi, South Haven. So that's where I grew up, right? I mean, literally, uh, at one point we lived in Greenbrook, and I was four blocks away from State Line Road. So smack up top of Mississippi, so. And then I moved, you know, to the big city after high school, right in Memphis, and lived there for a long time. 
Is that anywhere near Holly Springs? No, Holly Springs is down a little bit, yeah. But it, it is uh, north and a little bit west of there. Yeah. Did you ever go to Graceland too? I did, yeah, several times. Yeah, and it was always in the middle of the night, you know. Always some bad idea after you'd been drinking in Oxford, and it's like, let's go down. Paul McLeod. Oh, my God, that guy was amazing. He, and I, I almost I, I, I hesitated. I almost stole a bottle of Elvis wine from that place. And I just, I didn't, because I, I mean, I'm not a nice person or anything, but I just, I, I felt so bad for the guy. I was like, so like, what did this, I mean, his actual love for this bric-a-brac <laughs> is the only thing that kept me from stealing this novelty thing. I'm not, you know, we were down there several times in the middle of the night. You, you've been? Three times. Oh, man. In the back, did he ever have like Christmas stuff set up with the electric chair and the Christmas lights on yes, it? And, yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it was uh, a, a nebulous Elvis theme. You know, it, 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 it morphed into some other disturbing areas of that guy's brain. For people that don't know, um, Graceland 2 is in Holly Springs, Mississippi. And there's a guy named Paul McLeod who has opened his house up as a 24 hour shrine to Elvis. And he's been doing this since the 70s. And he claims to have all of this stuff out of Graceland where he has the jacket that Elvis died in. And if you go three times on the third time, he'll make you an official member and you get to have your picture taken with the jacket. Or you can bring him a bottle of scotch the first time and you become official member the first time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I I went through too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He reminds me of the guy. Um, uh, have you ever been to the style station outside Waco? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that that guy is great. I love him. He's great. I can, you know, but it's not ten minutes before he's connected the Bush family to the Kennedy assassination, like with the with the conspiracy stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I I like those characters. He's got some. He's got some good ones. I mean, things that the internet won't even print. I'm sure. It's like, oh no, that's just too ridiculous. Let's not put that on the internet. Uh, no, that was actually in Mississippi, Bullfrog Corner. It, but it was the, the Pop Tunes, Memphis's first uh, uh, record store, and they actually had chains. And uh, mine was one of the last ones that they had down there in Mississippi. But uh, this was, say, uh, 94, 95. I was working there, and we were the last to have all the uh, the vinyl for the jukebox. It was before jukebox all went CD. And you know, or, or they were going in the process of going CD, but you would still have these great soul jukeboxes and stuff. And so they would come down there and get all the vinyl for that. And it was last chance for a while. That's where uh, that's actually where I got a lot of my musical education was just hanging out with Venable, Brian Venable, guitar player for Lucero. He was a buddy of mine when I first started playing. He worked up at Last Chance, and I'd go. Uh, I guess I didn't have a job. Thinking about how much I hung out in that record store. There was never a time when I didn't have a job. I'm really blanking on how I had so much time. Maybe I was a bartender at the Peabody, and it was at night. But I would hang out with Brian all day, and he'd be like, hey, have you heard this? Have you heard this? And I'd be like, no, I don't even know what, what locust is, Brian. I don't. <laughs> it's, we spray for those things where I go. You know, so, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good education there, that and pop tunes and uh, just being from the region anyway, you know, growing up around that, that's pretty good whopping the head musically. I'm sure we broke down a few times. Uh, I, I did some tours with the guys. I haven't toured with them in a while. You know, the, the only time I play with them nowadays is usually with just I'll do a show with Ben, solo stuff. Those guys are, you know, once you get past a certain amount, it's kind of hard for acoustic and microphone. It's relative. I mean, because they're still playing, you know, large bars and small theater type stuff, you know. 
you get up into tours like I got to open for Gaslight earlier this year, and it's like the Riviera and then Chicago, and it's like three thousand people. You get up to that thing, and the sound system's so ridiculously great. It's like eh, you can kind of handle it with that, you know. I mean, you, you know, you're just the opener that nobody really gives a crap about anyway, but they can hear you. They're they're not gonna forget <laughs> I was stomping around like an asshole up there. <laughs> um, Lucero stories, uh, yeah. Um, it's just it's the years. I mean, over the years, because uh, we started out at the same time in Memphis. Um, uh, pretty much, I started writing right about the same time they formed as a band, ninety nine maybe. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, over the years, I lived with the guys at this that warehouse where they all lived. I had Brian's old room, which was one of the old dojos where Elvis took karate lessons. The other one being the high tone. Um, there were two, yeah, yeah. It's kind of random, but yeah, I, I actually used to sleep in the room with. The, it still had the lockers in it from when it was a dojo. And uh, yeah, no, I lived with the guys. Yeah, lots, lots of stories, but they're just you know probably unmentionable drunken road stories. Everybody's got those. I, still to this day, I get people at my show. You know, Corey Brennan's got an evil streak from the Ben had written in a song uh, that tears don't matter much song about me and my evil streak. My, my supposed evil streak. And uh, it was years later, I finally asked, like, what, what are you talking about there? What is, what is that about? He's like, uh, he's like that time that uh, you, man, I don't know if I can say all this on there. Let me censor this a little bit. He thought, we dated the same girl, and it was never at the same time. I waited a year later. And, and there was one night where she took us back to his house after we had played a gig together, and we were very, very intoxicated. And we drop him off, and... And uh, then we go back to my house, and she's going to drop me off. And we end up going to the park and swinging on the monkey bars and talking for a while. Um, well, unbeknownst to us, Ben is locked out of the house, uh, drunk, you know, in, t- in the ubiquitous T-shirt. On the, and it's, it's cold. It's not, it's not summer. Um, and so he's wrapped up in a cardboard box, <laughs> just, shiv- <laughs> just shivering and, you know, just steaming and cursing my name and, and developing thoughts that will later appear in a song well and and then later he's like that night you and i was like no we were just swinging on monkey bars <laughs> and to this day i've got some some drunk beardos just boyfriend <laughs> it's got an evil streak so, <laughs> thanks thanks ben so yeah uh yeah so there we're even i, I told the story on a microphone Tell me more about Elvis and the, the dojo. And I, I had no idea there was a connection between Elvis and the high tone. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, oh, I forget his name all the time. Kang, Kang Ri, I believe, was his uh, karate instructor. And there's a picture of, uh, above the bar, or, you know, it was a picture above the bar now. High tone closed recently. Um, I don't know what's up with that. Maybe they got a new lease going somewhere else. I don't know. But uh, above the bar, there's a big picture of Elvis kneeling in front of the Kang Ri and the, uh, I'm saying his name right, and that was at taken at the high tone. That's the the property, and apparently there were two, because uh, I had always heard that it was the the warehouse, and then and then we we tracked it down, found out that it was it moved a couple places. So yeah, there's that bit of folklore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that tone. Everybody's everybody in Memphis is all like, oh, the high tone's closed and the high tone's closed. And I'm like, well, they wouldn't have closed if you'd gone to some of the shows. You know, <laughs> Memphis, I, I I love it. I love Memphis. It's kind of it's my home, and 
it's my heart, but man, you know, to get people, I, I do okay there after 10, 12 years of wrestling that town, you know, and I still only do okay. People just, it's, it's weird. I don't know if it's the burden of a legacy like that, but Nashville's got a legacy, you know, different kind of legacy, but uh, it doesn't stop people from being interested in new things. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Is it, so it's just hard to get people to come to a show? Yeah, they don't, they don't support. Well, they, once they get it or once they're there, they're, they're loyal to death for something. Um, but it's a real, it's a drunk town. You know how some towns are just drunk. Memphis is a drunk, drunk-ass town. Um, it's it just, that town spins on the axis of a bottle, and, and, and that's how, if it's going to be a party, then that, the band will do well, you know. If it's going to be social, if they're going to, if you know their buddies are going to be there, the band will do okay, you know. Um, I don't know if it's, I mean, there's so many great musicians in Memphis, and there are people that know music, I mean, really discerning fans. So I don't know if it's that. You know, maybe I'm, you know, and maybe the bands I dig are just no good, <laughs> you know, but I, I'll be sitting there, you know, my friends are like, what's the best place to play in Memphis? I'm like, Little Rock. What's <laughs> 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 well, that much more reason to love the people who do come out, though? Yeah, oh, no, they're great and loyal, and uh, I mean, it's, and they're spoiled, like WVL, I, I don't know if you know that station, 89.9 in Memphis, Oh. What a great radio station, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and all, this, all the folks up there. And, uh, and just, you know, it's, uh, it was a lightning rod, and the place has uh, got so much history. I, I don't know what that has to, I don't know if that has to do with it, though. Maybe people just broke the day the $5 cover's over, you know. And it was the last to die in Memphis, I think. I think they hung on to it for a long time. Oh, yeah. Man, not a long shot at all, man. We used to go every Monday. And, I, and, of course, you know, when it was filmed on Saturdays or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I've been to been Channel 5 and watched it film. We'd go every Monday night, you know. My dad used to take me all the time, my uncles. Yeah, I've got a picture of me when I was a kid holding the, uh, the Moondog's bone, you know, picture. <laughs> picture of me and Dutch Mantel. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I was, I was a fan. Dirty Dutch. Yeah. Was he a heel right then or was yeah. he a good guy? No, he was a heel at the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, man, we used to, man, we'd get, we'd yell at the TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I grew up in that pretty heavy. Like, I, I always liked the theatrical stuff when I was a kid, like the great kabuki and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know, right, the Ric Flair and all, you know, the uh, fabulous ones and all that stuff I loved. Uh, Coco Beware. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking a little bit. That's been a long time. Were you around, or did your dad remember when um, uh, when Andy Kaufman? Oh no, I was around. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 38, so I was around for that. Oh man, we and I we both. <laughs> my uncle, you know, bought into it. Man, he was so mad <laughs> watching Letterman <laughs> and stuff and all that stuff. Yeah, they were totally just hook, line, and sinker on it. I I was fascinated as a kid. I didn't know what was going on, uh, but no, we were we were watching it. Did you see him live? Uh, what's that? Andy Kaufman. No, when didn't. he was feuding with Law. No, I wish I had gotten to see some of that. No, we didn't get to see any of that. <laughs> Not that I know of. I mean, that's one of that I thought. I was wondering if I had, and my my father passed here a couple of years ago. That's something I wish I could ask him. I don't know. There's a chance, you know. I think I'd remember that though, because I remember yelling at TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember if I was in the room yelling at him. Yeah. 
you never know. We went to a lot of wrestling. Yeah. That and a lot of truck pulls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I gotta, I'll gotta. have to get on the YouTubes and look at it. There was a uh, movie came out here recently, Memphis Heat. I haven't seen that yet. Documentary about a lot of that. I saw it at the Belcourt. Was it good? It was really good. <laughs> you definitely need to be a fan of vintage, old school wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Amy would have enjoyed it at all if she would have went, but she didn't go, and I loved it. Yeah, I, it's... I mean, you know, you know, Dan Brown was an announcer at the time, and for anybody that doesn't know that, he was uh, uh, Dan Brown, Dave Brown. My brain's left my head today for some reason. Dave Brown? He was our weather guy for the news, but he was also our wrestling announcer. So it's basically like, it, you know, it's going to rain today, take your umbrella, and wrestling's real. From the same guy, <laughs> you know. If that gives you any idea about how ingrained into Memphis the wrestling was. Yeah, no, uh, my wife jokes around and, uh, with me. It's, she says if I'm, anybody's around me for five minutes when I've been drinking, they'll hear my print story. No, I, it's, uh, it's from working up at the Peabody in Memphis. I, that's the, one of the first jobs I had when I got to Memphis, and that's the old hotel with the ducks and the fountain, you know, uh, the grand tradition of these ducks in the fountain, you know, that I've seen the ducks, they walk out uh, down the red carpet at 5 o'clock or they go... Uh, they come out at 11, hop in the fountain, swim there all day, hop back up at 5 o'clock, and there's a duck master. Grown people push kids out of the way so they can see the ducks. And it's this grand tradition, you know, but really it just started off from a couple of duck hunters that used to use live decoys back in the day. And so they were wanted to get drunk, and they were like, what are we going to do with these decoys out in the heat? They're like, put them in the fountain. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's the grand tradition, put them in the fountain. <laughs> Give me a shot. But uh, so worked there, um, and I actually went to work in a smaller sidebar because they had stopped smoking in the lobby there. They had banned smoking, uh, cigar smoking, all smoking, and then cigar was the last to go. And then so they moved it to this sort of little sidebar called Mallard's. Everything was cleverly named. Um, and so I took over that bar because I knew all the, the big wigs with the cigars were going there. So, And I... I was in there one night, and there's no one around. Prince is playing over to Peabody, uh, not Peabody, the Pyramid that night, and uh, no one's around in my bar, and I'm looking around. I was like, I wonder why nobody's in here. I turn around, it's Prince sitting right there. Unmistakably Prince, lime green suit, lime green heels. Um, and, you know, later they had set a perimeter around the bar, and that's why he's the only one there, you know, his people. He's just waiting for the limo to come or whatever. And they teach you not to talk to the stars at the Peabody when you work there. <laughs> like don't talk to all these fabulous stars, all the Judds that are coming through don't talk to nary a Judd um, so uh, I know not to talk to him so good, I'm like can I get you something he's like level water <laughs> I get him the water and uh, finally I'm like I can't help you know I was just one of those kids I grew up idolizing the man you know um, and I was like well I, I'm a big fan I hope you have a great show tonight welcome to Memphis you know, I'd be there but I'm stuck here he says he says what are you doing afterwards? <laughs> I, said, I said, nothing. I'm not doing anything afterwards. And uh, he goes, we're having a little uh, after, after show down on Beale over to Daisy. And uh, he's like, you think maybe you and five friends might want to come? I was, like, I was like, yeah, I think maybe. Yeah, that I could find five people that like to come to that. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, so uh, he asked my name. I gave him my name. And uh, he says bye a little bit and leaves. And 
you know, it's not like he put me on speed dial. He went out and told his bouncer this name. Plus five. So I start calling people, you know. And there's this girl that worked across the way at uh, the French restaurant, Ducks, D-U-X with an X. Um, and so I'd always wanted to ask her out. So that, you know, I figured that'd be a good time to ask her out. And uh, so I, get, I gather up people. It's, we go afterwards. It's midnight. Um, line down the block, down Bill Street. You know, word's gotten out that he's having this free after show. And I walk up to the front with a little lady with the pad. And I was like, my name may be on there. I don't know. And she, she's like, what's your name? I'm like, Corey. She's like, oh, plus five. So I'm like, yes. yes. So we go in and go run right up to the front. The daisy holds about maybe 900 if there's no seats in it. Um, so we get right up front. Prince comes out. It's packed. He comes out and doesn't touch the guitar. Plays for two hours, two and a half hours. He's um, playing B3, all this stuff. And uh, then uh, I think it can't get any better. You know, this girl's like all over me, whatever. And everybody's having a good time. And uh, I think the night can't get any better. He's like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's like, I want to get a special friend of mine out here. Is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Uh, Rufus Thomas. And so Rufus Thomas comes out, like just like he got out of church or something, just dressed to the nines, 2.30 in the morning. You know, Rufus is old at the time. And uh, this is like 97. And... Uh, they come out and they close a walk in the dog. You know, that's, that's a Prince story. <laughs> and I only tell it because it's cool. <laughs> you know, I grew up glued to MTV like as it came on the television when it had four videos and they run those 24 hours a day, those four videos. You didn't have to wait for uh, whatever to come back on. And uh, each new special video premiere, you know. And growing up in Mississippi with... Uh, just whatever you could get a hold of, you know. Uh, I would. Get, I got a hold of um, Minor Threat the same way uh, the guy down the street gave me Iron Maiden albums, and then Easy, and then you know I've talked about that before a lot, but it's just it's a real splintered thing. And then you have MTV, and it's like, and so uh, there was no, there were no genre defined lines, you know. And it's coming from Mississippi, or in, I don't. Where in Indiana? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. I grew up in Wanamaker. It was a little bitty town, but then moved to Indianapolis. Yeah, and you don't have this sort of identity crisis, I think, that major, people that grow up in major cities have, where you have to really to be yourself, which is an aesthetic yourself as a kid, you know, because we don't. Uh, to, to get weird in a place like that or a place like South Haven, Mississippi, to get weird, you just take one step left. I mean, you don't have, <laughs> you don't got to push anything through your eyebrow or, you know, whatever. You don't have to do anything weird to be. Oh, there's a weird kid, you know. Grow your hair past your collar. Oh, there's a weirdo. And so you don't have to do these crazy rebellions. So there, there were not really, we had some hood rats, you know, and, and whatever. We had kids that skated. And, but I was like one of those kids that skateboarded when everybody was BMXing. I BMXed while they were skateboarding. And I was break dancing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I said, I'm 38. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I was. I was. I had to teach my wife. She's uh, a little bit younger than me. Um, and what the windmill was, and you know, she's because like, I was talking about stuff. I, this came up somehow. They they used to break dance. We do it in the middle of the skate rink, and the, you know, in the middle uh, island where the kiddies would skate, they had a little dance floor, and they let us bring in the the cardboard there. And then if you were good enough, you just do it and you use cardboard, you just do it on the dance floor. 
And uh, I used to be able to do the windmill uh, many, many moons ago. And I uh, just talk about, I was like, man, I wonder. I'm always just thinking, I'm like, I wonder. I'm like, we got a little bit of room in this house. <laughs> you know, nobody has to see. <laughs> and then I just think about the 911 call and, you know, I, 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 I don't get on the floor. Want to describe the windmill? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one, the one where you're uh, you're up and you. It's sort of like you start off in a shoulder stand and then you you're rolling uh, from your shoulder underneath and back up. You're rolling your shoulders, so your legs are open, scissoring in and out, and so that's the. It's where the YouTube. I've seen that quite a few times. Never knew what it was called. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That I'll never be able to do again. <laughs> Alas, dreams die hard. <laughs> the stage started to catch on fire, and maybe we were at Pittsburgh or something during my set. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm just like, I'm trying to play it off. I'm like, okay, that's a bad, acrid, burning rubber smell. It's one of the lights, you know. Nobody knows that yet. And I'm just like, da -da -da -da. and I was like, and so I make just a tasteless, you know, uh, uh, who was the band that had the bad accident? And the, great White. Yeah, I make a tasteless Great White joke. And then I'm just like, is anybody else noticing this, you know? And I'm like, not, I mean, it's like, not that I don't want to die for music. I'm like, we say we're all going to die for music. We don't just mean literally tonight in, in <laughs> Philly or Pittsburgh, wherever we were that time. And uh, so anyway, yeah, it's a light. They they get the light off, and no one ever. But no one ever budged. I don't know if kids are like really into music, or if people just don't really understand public safety. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I did a tour one time with um, maybe with the Good Old War, I think, and I'm playing, and my my hands open up sometimes when I'm playing guitar because I have poor technique, and. Uh, so I'm, and I'm bleeding in my, in my hands. And I'm not just bleeding, I'm, I'm, I'm gushing, like evil dead gush of blood coming out of my hands onto this girl. And these young girls are down front and they're just looking up smiling and laughing that she's getting blood on her shirt. And I'm just like, I just stop and I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm clean, I have clean blood. You don't know that though. It's just musician blood. That should, something up here should take, and yeah, maybe step back, you know? High risk category. Yeah. <laughs> how did how did I get there? I'm sorry. I'm no. not sure. It <laughs> leads me hole. right. It leads me right back to wrestling, where it makes <laughs> me think of the uh, all the wrestlers that just bleed all oh, yeah, over. The hidden, hidden. Yeah, uh, I actually have joked about that because uh, I was one time I was maybe we were in Italy and and Chuck and I had bled on the stage the last night and it opened up when I was doing something like getting opening a, a bottled water. And so, like, I've opened my hand up, and I'm bleeding him before I ever go on stage. And so we were joking about, like, he's like, that could just be your thing, you know, just bleed every night. <laughs> so, like, so we started talking about the wrestlers that would, you know, they keep the, in their wrist thing, they keep the razor blade and just cut their forehead. I'm like, yeah, just every night I could see me by the side of the stage with a little razor blade. This is going to look so authentic. <laughs> but it's, it's also terrible. Like, when you bleed, like, when it starts gushing like that and it gets on the strings, they're instantly dead, and you're sticking to the strings. It's not like it's like... Yeah, this is cool. It's like, oh, great. My guitar sounds like crap now. Thanks. I'd like to thank you for coming over to the house. And, yeah, uh, man. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it, man. Oh, no worries, man. So I 
Hopefully I didn't babble too too off topic. Or... No, you're great, man. Thank you. Hey, cheers, man. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Corey for coming on over and sitting down with me in my living room here in East Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Corey at CoreyBrannon.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode for free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.